hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This fourth Sunday in Advent, it's Mary's day to take the center stage as she gives us one of what many have called the most revolutionary songs in all of history. It's a song of tremendous importance, significance, and yet it's hard to hear it clearly over the static of 20 centuries of Sunday school culture and our mothers telling us about the Blessed Mother. There's a saying that while being a little oversimplifying nevertheless holds some merit. Roman Catholics tend to adore Mary, while Protestants tend to ignore Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has in effect two histories within the Christian tradition. We have the Mary of scripture, and we have the Mary of devotions. The Mary of devotions is the more well-known, especially in Roman Catholic circles. This is the Mary invoked in the rosary, the Mary of popular shrines, the sorrowful mother, the mother of purity and chastity, the mother who understands and empathizes with human suffering. And this Mary is preeminently the mother of the poor. One theologian pointed out that when you look at all the apparitions and appearances of Mary that have been officially approved by the Roman Catholic Church, you will notice that she has always appeared to a poor person, a child, an illiterate peasant, someone with no social status. She's never appeared to a theologian, to a pope, or to a Hollywood celebrity. She's always been the person to whom the poor look. But piety and devotions, for all their beauty, also run the risk of theological sloppiness and exaggerated sentimentality. That's the case, too, with the Mary of devotions. Perhaps there's a tendency to elevate Mary to divine status and to impute to her so much piety and purity she hardly resembles the hard scrabble Mary singing out her Magnificat. Still, the Mary of devotions can be very helpful for our spiritual journey. Much more ignored is the Mary of Scripture and the role various Gospels assign to her. In many of the Gospels, especially Luke, Mary is presented as a model of discipleship. Whereas the Mary of devotion has a pure love for the poor, the Mary of scripture has a pure faith in God. She is always obedient and recommending obedience to others. Do whatever he tells you, she says early on in John's gospel. But of course, her most famous words in the gospels are her response to the Annunciation. It's here we see that her faith doesn't just have local importance, but it has cosmic importance. When she utters, let it be, it's like all of creation's voice gathered into her faith 
and offered back to God. Remember, God brought creation into being by his word that said, let there be. In the Gospels, Mary is the paradigm for discipleship. She's the first to hear the word of God and to keep it. Even here, though, we can hang all of our idealistic fantasies onto her and distance ourselves to, to a place where we can either adore her or ignore her. Either adore her for her faith or admire her faith, but ignore her as a human being. Notice in both the Mary of devotion and the Mary of scripture a lot of good and also a tendency to distance ourselves from her. Mary is perfect and pure and holy other. It's easier to adore or ignore something semi-divine. So I recently saw that incredibly sad movie, A Star is Born. And I'm not gonna feel bad about spoiling it since there have been four makings of it and the same thing happens. So just after Jackson's opening number, he sits in the back of his limo, he's drunk and he's tired. I've seen the movie twice now and an image during this scene jumped out both times. At one point, the car drives past a neon billboard lit with multiple nooses. I'm assuming, given the ending toward which Jackson is headed, that this image was an intentional foreshadowing by the director. The picture is haunting, death and the presence of his life. Every iteration of A Star is Born ends with the male lead's death. It's an undeniably powerful device. The viewer wouldn't feel the same impact afterward without this tragic element here at the beginning. This most recent version really gets in your head though because of Jackson's demise. You wonder if it could have been prevented and what will happen to Allie without him. If someone might hire a hitman to take out that sorry manager, if his dog will be okay, whole experience of watching this movie after the nooses on the billboard has planted itself in your mind is an exercise in powerlessness. I thought of that movie as I read Luke chapter 1 this week and thought about Mary. It's like we see not nooses but crosses on the billboards as we read this chapter. Even here this morning we see it. We see the cost of discipleship, the cost of bearing grace. Mary's life is all but overturned by this pregnancy. She is a single teenage mother with a father who can't be identified, living in a holy patriarchal society, and she's going around telling people that she's carrying God's son in her belly. It sounds like a script for an MTV show, can you imagine the shame, the rejection, the cultural death that she's on the brink of? One of the parents um, of Mary from our annual Christmas pageant was trying to calm 
her young Mary before she went out, before she sang her solo and held the baby. And speaking of her daughter later, she said, she knows she's important, but that doesn't mean she isn't nervous. This is not a porcelain doll saint. Mary is a woman, a teenager, in the grit and tension of life. And she somehow perceives grace flooding into her world and overturning the whole system. She doesn't flee from the pain of life. She composes her most famous hymn right in the midst of it. And of course, we see crosses on the billboard, the entire Gospel of Luke, because the son she will bear will die a horrible and premature death. And the last scene that we have of Mary, she's standing underneath the cross. Here's not just Jesus's mother, but the mother of all of humankind itself, the archetypal mother, absorbing all the pain and grief that are beyond her control. She is, as many commentators point out, a second Eve. The pain and travail that was known by Eve is now being borne by Mary as she stands in helplessness under human pain and within human pain when she stands under the cross of her son. In this, she shows herself as a universal mother, but also as an example of how injustice might be handled namely by standing within it in a way that does not replicate its hatred or violence to give it back in kind. Just like Mary did in Luke 1, so she does at the end of this gospel. She stands under the tension of life in its joy and in its grief, and she finds a way to hope. So the Mary of devotion has a heart for the poor, she is the blessed mother who visits the struggling and the weak. The Mary of Scripture has a commendable faith. These Marys are beautiful and worthy of our attention. But the tendency is for them to get overblown, thus allowing us to distance ourselves from her. But what if, what if Mary wasn't meant to be primarily adored or ignored? but to be followed, to be imitated? What if the Magnificat was her opportunity then and ours now to look into the eyes of that which we fear, that which we grieve and learn that, that we are strong enough not to lash out in hatred or bitterness? What if we are to learn to sing a song of hope in the midst of weakness? Something tells me that each of us here is presented with plenty of opportunities. What if Mary doesn't deserve our admiration and her commitment to the poor so much as our imitation? What if the key to both the Mary of devotion and the Mary of scripture is the Mary of the cross? It's there that this courageous and gritty woman will stand in solidarity with her courageous and gritty son. The one who Mary bore will now bear our pain and our shame and our rejection and by overcoming death, he will free us to live lives of hope and liberation. He will free us to do crazy things, like sing our own Magnificat in the midst of pain and rejection, and to bear his grace, his courage, and his acceptance in our very bodies, and like our Blessed Mother, to have our humanity touched by his divinity. 
only that our souls and bodies like hers might be a gift offered to change the world.